told uh, Chris I was going to do a magic trick today. So there it is. You closed your eyes and I was not up here. When you opened them, poof, I appeared. So that's my magic trick. That's all I got. Sorry. So thank you for being here once again. Before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping things here. Several things. Number one, I mosey, maybe mosey is a good word. I wander up here a lot. The first time I preached here at Go Church, I don't think I was on the camera at all. I spent most of my time way over here, so when we try to put it on YouTube, all you hear is just this voice from heaven speaking. And there's no, there's nobody there because uh, I'm on one side or the other. So I'm going to try to, as much as I can, stay uh, tied to this thing most of the time. So I've started writing out more of my uh, sermons here so I don't wander too much. But if I get too far, just like, like you're bringing in an airplane, okay? Just say, hey, I mean, you gotta, you gotta start going back that way, and I'll get the point, and I'll come back over this way, and we'll, we'll stay here, all right? Once again, thank you for guys for being here. I have a lot to say today, so I'm going to try to stay focused and not get too far, too far off of it, and that way we can be out of here at a decent time, because I also tend to go a little long. So just give me this side, this side directs me in like an airplane, and this side, just give me the time out, okay? So, We'll, we'll take a break, and uh, we'll go back. So if you've been here with us recently, you know that Mark has been going through the book of James. That's right, going through the book of James. So today, we're going to take a little break from that. We're going to go to Galatians, which could be a little bit opposite of James, but they're going to go together, right? They're going to tie together, where James has been talking a lot about, hey, if you're saved, your faith is going to produce works, Right? A lot of times in Galatians, Paul is saying, hey, if you're saved, you got the faith, and it's, it's Jesus Christ and, and nothing else. Like, that's all you need is Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be in Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to try to get through verses 1 through 10. Once again, Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians. Now, that's going to be important to us today. It's not just written generically to whoever may stumble across it, but it's written to churches. It's written to Christian people. And these people had heard the gospel. People had become Christians, and they formed a church. So Paul now is writing a letter to them. Um, Galatians is going to address the issue of legalism in the Galatian church. Legalism in the Galatian church. A group of people which Paul kind of calls Judaizers. I know that's a fun word for you. Don't ask me to spell it. But Judaizers, and they were teaching the Gentile converts that they had to come under the Mosaic law. Right? And Paul says, no. Hey, that's not right. You were saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything else. You're saved in that. And the Judaizers were saying, well, yes, believe in Jesus the Messiah and now do a few other things, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but Paul said that's another gospel. When you believe in Christ, and then in order to be right with God, you have to do a couple of other things, even to do one other thing, that's another gospel, and it's not the good news. And as Paul usually does, he gives us this great theology there in, in chapter 1 through chapter 5, and then in chapter 6, he kind of turns the page a little bit here, and he's saying, now, if all this is true, if all of what I said is true, here is how we can relate to one another. Here's how we can live it out. Here's how it's going to look when we walk it out. 
right? When we're in step with the Holy Spirit, as chapter 5 says. So he's given us this theology. Now he's going to give us the practical side of that. So here's the truth. Now here's how we're going to live that truth out. So if you have your Bibles, or if you want to look at the screen right here behind me, I know with modern technology we have cell phones, which many of us just carry our Bible around with us all the time because we have a cell phone. And I have great news for you. There's not really cell service in this room. Uh, so if you do have your Bible on your phone and you're trying to pull it out, and you're like, what's going on? My Bible's broke. It's not broke. It's, uh, the room is not very much cell service. But we do have all the verses right here behind me for you to look at as well. All right, so let's start in Genesis 6. Uh, not Genesis. Woo! Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Paul knew the problems would arise in the Christian life. Paul knew that problems would come in the Christian life. And the best people, the best people can slip up. And when they do, what is needed? Gentle restoration. Gentle restoration. You have lots of blanks in your bulletin today. I'm going to try to remember to tell you what goes in each blank. Um, the first blanks for you there. Gentle restoration. So we're reading verse 1. What Paul means here when he says overtaken, what the Greek actually is kind of implying is trapped or entangled. Sin does that. Think of Hebrews 12, where Christians are called to drop our chains, remove anything that hinders, and sin which so easily entangles us. We get stuck in sin. It's kind of like quicksand. The harder we fight, the worse it gets. We have some young people over this way today. Hey, guys, how's it going? Are you guys scared of quicksand? Have you seen quicksand? Have you seen quicksand? Have you seen a movie where quicksand is in there and people are just trapped? Probably an old movie, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of times the newer movies don't have a lot of quicksand. When I was younger, man, I thought quicksand was going to be everywhere, right? I mean, I'm watching all of these shows and quicksand is there. Batman and Robin, old school Batman and Robin TV shows. Man, there's an episode where the, the Riddler kind of leads him into his lair there, and then all of a sudden, Batman and Robin are trapped in this huge vat that kind of looks like a birthday cake, um, but they're trapped in quicksand, and now they're sinking down, and all hope is lost, right? There's other shows, uh, Get Smart. Man, look, I may look young, all right, but I grew up watching Nick at Night, all right? So listen, I've seen the older TV shows, and man, Get Smart, right? Where, man, Max and 99, and they're there, and quicksand. And man, the bad guys are looking on, and they're sinking down in quicksand. The Dukes of Hazard, guess what? Got some quicksand, and there are lots of episodes. Have some quicksand, and they're even, I'm a mama's boy, right? Mama's boy. Even Days of Our Lives, right? <laughs> watching, watching Days of Our Lives with my mom, even Days of Our Lives, had some episodes with quicksand, right? Darkwing Duck, Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, all had quicksand. Quicksand was everywhere. And I imagine when I grew up, that was going to be my biggest challenge was to not fall in quicksand, right? I was going to be driving, 
quicksand. Got to watch out, okay? I was going to be shopping, pushing, quicksand. Got to watch out, right? I was going to be going to school, quicksand, right in the middle of the classroom. Quicksand was going to be everywhere. Well, it's not. <laughs> kind of disappointed, right? I was looking forward to dodging, dodging quicksand all the time. But even though that physical quicksand is not there, like right here on the stage, we're watching out for, we're dodging, quicksand is still kind of all around us. Quicksand is all around us. Quicksand is a great challenge in our life, far greater than doing your taxes. Quicksand's all around us, and at any moment we could fall into it. But it's not the same quicksand as Batman and Robin fell into. It's not the same quicksand that was on days of our lives. People all around us will likely get stuck in something they should not. We step in things, get involved in things we have no business stepping in and getting involved in. And it may be on accident, it may be on purpose, but before we know it, we're neck deep in sin. And we can't fight our way out. Looks innocent at first. I mean, who doesn't like playing in sand, right? Looks innocent at first. And you step in. And you're drowning. There's an old hymn. It says I grew up in an old southern church in Mississippi and we sing hymns all the time there's an old hymn that says, I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more Paul is talking about this habitual sin the sinking sin patterns which are enslaving and trapping and addicting and this sin when our brothers and sisters in Christ become trapped in this sin when they are sinking in this sin is our job not our job, not our job to sit back and just say, I'm glad it's not me. It's not our job, like with Gilligan and Gilligan's Island, right? It's not our job to look at them sinking in the quicksand and saying, glad that's not me. Hope they can find a way out of there. It's not our job to sit back and look down our noses and say, should have learned. Should have known better that that was quicksand i know i know not to step in quicksand you should have known you should have known that that was going to lead to destruction in your life you should have should have known now get to deal with it yourself as christians it is not our job to do any of those things it's our job to go to them face to face and say, hey, I'm here with you. You are not alone. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not giving up on you. Now you grab hold of this vine. We're going to get you out of here. So you're right there with them, helping them get out, not leaving them to deal with it on their own. You see, dealing with sin should always have restoration in mind always have restoration in mind when you're helping someone deal with sin in their life your ultimate goal should not be to criticize and condemn but to help them be restored 
In this instance, restore refers to mend or repair. It was used in a setting of a bone, a repairing of a dislocated limb. The word lays the stress not on punishment, but on cure. The correction is thought of as a penalty, not as a penalty, but as put as something right. Our dealing with sin is not about punishing the guilty. The priority is reconciliation. Moving towards making things right again, getting back that person to where they should be. Helping the one who has fallen to the side get back where they belong. We are to do it in gentleness, Paul says. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit. There's no desire for revenge or retribution. Gentleness does not mean saying it's okay. Gentleness does not mean saying, hey, you sin, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Gentleness does not mean saying it's okay. Gentleness doesn't mean being dismissive to spare the person's feelings. Gentleness means you are clear in your intent not to harm the person, but to help. It means communicating in humility and tenderness, respecting the fact that this person probably already feels pretty guilty and shameful. Gentleness is how Jesus responds to those trapped in sin. Think of the woman in adultery in John chapter 8, or the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus says, hey, what you've been up to is wrong. He didn't dismiss that. What you've been doing is wrong. But let me help you. I'm not interested in seeing you publicly humiliated for your sin. But in seeing you made whole. When adulterers, pagans, drunks, drug dealers, homosexuals, and all the folks the Pharisees glared at found Jesus to be tender and kind to be humble. The only folks who get an earful of hellfire from Jesus are the religious folks, the self-righteous, the arrogant, the condescending, those who with a habit of severely critical of others, the folks who are certain they are right, and the other is a sinner. The danger of those who are really trying to live the Christian life is that they are apt to judge the sins of others harshly. There's an element of hardness in so many good people. There are many good people to whom you could not go to and sob out a story of failure and defeat. They would likely be bleakly unsympathetic. Are you concerned over straying church members? That's not my business, tell me. That's not my business. But it is your business when you realize that you are united to them by faith. We are united to one another by faith in Christ. We are brothers and sisters adopted into God's family, knit together by the Holy Spirit in a common fellowship. We must seek the spiritual welfare of one another. Watch out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Examine yourselves. Believers first must be sure their lives are right with God before giving spiritual help to others. There is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit also. There is no sin that one person committed that another person may not commit also. We stand in slippery places. 
If we become overbearing, neglect our duty as brothers and sisters, it is easy for us to fall into sin. He fell yesterday, I may fall today. If David, who was a hero of faith and did so many great things for the Lord, could fall so badly when he was overcome by youthful lust, after he had withstood so many different temptations which the Lord had tested his faith, faith. Who are we to think that we are more stable? Here's the deal. If I end up stuck in quicksand with you, I can't save you. If I end up neck deep in the quicksand with you, I can be of no help to you at all. While seeking to restore sinners through gentle confrontation and encouragement, we must take care lest we be tempted as well. Clearly, he means that we are capable of any transgression. And it's all too possible for the unwary person to commit the same error he's trying to correct. Yet in keeping with his call for humility, Paul's exhortation that we watch ourselves is also a warning against self-righteousness. Too often we look down on others when they fall, but there is no surer test of the spiritual person than his treatment of another's sin. There is no of another test of a spiritual person than his treatment of another's sin. Because once you realize how much grace you've needed, once you realize how much mercy you've needed, it's far easier to forgive your brother. It's far easier to help your sister. Because you know you're just as bad as they are. That we're all on a level playing field. All of us, every single one of us are sinners. Every one of us. None of us are better than the next. And when you realize that you have no hope other than Jesus Christ, and they have no hope other than Jesus Christ, and you're right there together, man, it's far easier to extend that hand and help. Instead of saying, I don't know, if I extend my hand, I'm going to get my hand dirty. Spirit-led people mourn when believers sin and work to restore them. They show mercy to errant brothers and sisters in Christ, urging them to turn from sin, be reconciled to God. If harsh words are necessary, they are spoken gently to show sinners a desire for their repentance and cleansing. As a church father, you know, old-timey church person named Jerome. I like the name Jerome. Jerome. And he says the spirit-led person should correct a sinner gently and meekly. He must not be inflexible, angry, or grieved in his desire to correct him. He should stir him up with the promise of salvation, promising remission, and bringing forth a testimony of Christ. May we never forget to take the log out of our own eye as we address the speck in another's. But let us never think that we must be perfect before we can be used to restore. Because we're never going to be perfect. 
So yes, deal with your own sin. Address your own sin. Don't hide it or run from it. Know that you are just as stuck as they are. But you found the vine. She said, I am the vine. You're stuck in quicksand. Grab hold of the vine. Can't reach the vine. And the brother and sister is right there to show you where to grab it. Address your own sin, but don't expect to be perfect before you help. Because many of us do that. I can't help them because I'm a sinner too. I can't help them because they know what I've done, right? I can't address their sin because they know my sin. You're never going to be perfect. Don't use that excuse. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watch out for yourselves that you also won't be tempted. Number two, humble bearing. Not like bear. Not like a humble bear. I'm going to eat you, but I'm going to be humble about it. No, not a bear. Humble bearing. Let's read in verses two through five. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Anybody watch Lord of the Rings movies in here? Or is that, now those movies are too old. No one cares about those things. Okay, so, so this is our Lord of the Rings section over here. If you missed the memo, that's where you're supposed to sit, over that way. Um, Lord of the Rings. Well, there's the Lord of the Rings movie, Return of the King. Anybody? You seen Return of the King? Of course you guys have. Return of the King. Yeah. Now Frodo is close to completing his task of dropping this ring into the fire to destroy this ring that's caused so much trouble and heartache and tough times. He's, he's close, but now he's, he's almost there, but he's too tired, too weary, too worn out to make it up the mountain. So now he's just lying there. Can't go on anymore. And all chaos is breaking loose all around him. And he's almost just given up. And then there's his best friend, his loyal companion, Sam. That's right, Sam. And Sam is there with him. And Sam says with tears and with passion, said, then let us be rid of this once and for all. Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but... I can carry you. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. He proceeds to help them up the mountain so Frodo can end the drama once and for all. Will spirit-filled believers help their brothers and sisters carry the burdens 
that hinder them. Spirit-filled believers help their brother and sister, just like Sam helped Frodo carry the burdens that hinder them. Christians have heavy burdens. Christians have heavy burdens. Look back at verse 2 there. Carry one another's burdens. Now you may be saying, wait a second, Tully. Hold on just a moment. I have burdens of my own. And I can barely carry them. Now, I tell you, I got stuff going on in my life that is weighing me down. I feel like Frodo. I, I can't go on. And now you're telling me that I got to put some more on me by helping someone else carry their burdens as well? I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. I'm too worn out as it is. And my burden is too heavy already. How do I do that if my iniquities have covered me? If I have burdens that I can't bear and I have all this other stuff that goes with living in a fallen world, fallen body, fallen soul, and now you're saying to me, bear one another's burdens. And this is where you've got to see the whole verse. Bear one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. And what does he say? And you, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? What is the law of Christ? Well, let's think back for just a second to the night when Jesus was arrested. The night before he was crucified, when he just poured out his heart with his disciples in the upper room there. And you can see this in the Gospel of John. One of the things that Jesus says is, a new command I give you. And I'm sure the disciples were kind of on the edge of their seat, right? They've been following this guy for a while now. And now he's saying a new command. A new command? All right. Here we go. A new command. What is it? And here it is. Here's the new command. Love one another. And not to be irreverent, but you can kind of see them turning to one another like, what? He's already said that. That's not new. That's not a new command. He's already said, love one another before. What's he talking about? New, love your neighbor as yourself. He's already, it's not new. But the newness comes in how you love one another. You love as you have been loved. You love as the Lord has loved you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If me doing that for you or you doing that for me, if that fulfills the law of Christ, that must mean at some level, God bears my burdens. That Jesus Christ bears my burdens. You ever heard of a poem? It's an old poem called Footprints. Yeah? It's kind of just maybe it's hanging in the bathroom wall or something somewhere uh, in your grandmother's house. Uh, it wasn't my grandmother's house, but it was this picture, and then it was a, a beach scene, and you see two sets of footprints, and all of a sudden you just see one set of footprints, right? We've heard this before. Right? And this poem goes that hey, the man asks ask Jesus, hey, what? What's our two sets of footprints sometimes, and only one set the other time? What what happened there? 
And that's when, that's when I was carrying you. So that sounds great, but is that, is that biblical, right? I mean, it's kind of like the kutsu of poetry sometimes. It's all over the place. But is it biblical? Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, People are about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. Spies had gone and they had seen giants living in the promised land. It's intimidating and they are scared and they come back with this bad report. Their cities go up to the sky. And what does Moses say? How did you make it through the wilderness? How did your sandals not wear out and your clothes not wear out? How did your babies eat with no stores? And he says, it was because the Lord carried you in his arms. Then in Isaiah 46, through the prophet, God says this to his people. He says, I am not like the false gods that you dabble with. You have to carry those gods around in your knapsack like luggage. I am not like that. Then here's what God says to Isaiah. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he. And to, his, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Here's something else that Isaiah said about Jesus. A century before he came, he, was, he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How can I actually believe that God really likes me and loves me and cares about me and carries me. Look at Christ and look at the cross. Because when he goes to that cross, it's to bear us and to carry us. Everything that's worst about us, right? The worst, filthiest, dirtiest, sinful things about us, Jesus carried and bore on the cross. And what's going to follow for him doing that is so horrible that he draws near to God and says father there's any other way we can do this let's do that yet not my will but your will be done and doesn't have written out God's response so let's imagine something like hey look there's only two ways to do this either they're going to have to pay and bear their own sin or you're going to have to bear it for them song i mentioned earlier i was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more but then the rest says but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me now safe am i love lifted me love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me heard that him heard that song love lifted me we become enslaved to sin and our only hope is the saving grace the love of jesus christ god loves us sinners god loves us bad people and carries and redeems and bears because he loves us bear one another's burdens being able to do so because i know he bears me and my sin he bore it and he bears me so I can help carry you. I got a lot on me. I got a lot on me, Telly. I can't help. Give that to God. Give that to God. 
Bearing the burdens of one another is a tangible way to address the needs of others before our own. The burdens Paul speaks of in Galatians 2 are loads too heavy for one person to carry. It represents all kinds of problems and difficulties. Somebody's burden might be a debilitating illness. And one way that we can help them is fixing a meal. Maybe the illness is so bad they've lost their job. Don't know what their family is going to do. Maybe one way for us to help bear that burden is maybe help pay their electric bill that month. Help pay their rent. Maybe someone else has no living relatives at all. And we can help by reaching out, showing love and friendship, adopting her into our family, especially during the holidays. Whatever the issue, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones. They may bear the weakness of their brethren. On the cross, Jesus bore our sins, cried our tears, carried our weakness, and shouldered our diseases. Thus, we imitate him as we bear the burdens of fellow believers. We live in a fallen world where you have setbacks and loss and sickness and even death. But it's not just that we're in a fallen world. That is true. That is biblical. But it's not just that we are these good people, are neutral people, and this fallen world sort of happens around us. We are fallen. Our bodies are fallen. There's our sin, our disobedience creeps, burdens. It's a level playing field. Look back at verses 3 and 4. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Pride will create a heart that resists humble service for the church family. Don't feed your pride by comparing yourself to others. Bearing others' burdens to fulfill the law of Christ is impossible if we yield to the selflessness of our flesh. Faulty self-evaluation is an obstacle to walking by the Spirit. For example, we often conclude that we are superior to others. About a man in debt, we might say, hey, I use my money wisely, but he willingly overspent, so let him help himself. I care not that he is sorry. I care not that he wants financial counsel. He did this to himself. I use my money wisely. He overspent. Self-pride believes that we are not like those sinners. It keeps us from aiding troubled people lest we dirty our hands. Yet the Son, Jesus Christ, though equal to God, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. The proud one who hates the lowly is his own deceiver, not knowing that the spirit of the law adds up finally to loving one another. We also judge falsely ourselves if we consider our gifts inferior to others. Thinking we are unable to assist burdened believers, but the cure for self-doubt is the same for self-pride. Sober self-assessment. We learn our strengths and the burdens we are best able to carry, enabling us to serve more effectively. Note, that it says we are 
able to properly boast when we judge ourselves rightly, not in our own skills, but that the Lord graciously empowers us to fulfill. The Christian who serves faithfully, not troubling himself with those works, which pertain not to his vocation, may glory and rejoice in himself. For he may say, I have done the works my vocation appointed me by God with faithfulness and diligence. Test your own work. Evaluate your own obedience. Measure your work against God's standard, not against the moral failure of someone else. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. You aren't righteous because your neighbor isn't righteous. Not committing the sins your neighbor does is not the way to impress God. Our service to God is what finally counts, not the way our gifting or holiness compares to that of others. Then he says, for each person will have to carry his own load. Wait a second, Paul. Each person will have to carry his own load. Didn't you just say bear one another's burdens? Didn't he just say, hang on, carry one another's burdens. Each person will have to carry his own load. What is going on with Paul? Paul sounded a little crazy. Carry, carry one another's burdens, but each person has to carry his own load? What is going on? I think our English kind of hinders that some, right? Where you've probably heard it said before, if you look back at the original language, their words kind of draw it out more in our English a lot of times hinders that where we have love, but they might have three or four different words for love that can mean different types of love. And we just have love, like I love Taco Bell and I love my wife, Michelle. And that rhymed. I didn't mean for it to rhyme. I love Taco Bell and I love my wife, Michelle. Um, but it's not the same love, but all we have is love. But here, the words that we're using and talking about carrying our, our load, the word for the burden here, for each person will have to carry his own load. It's the word for like a soldier's pack. There's a duty which no one else can do for us and a task for which we must be personally, personally responsible. Yeah, you can help carry someone else's burdens. Yes, someone can help carry your burdens, but there's still that load, that pack that no one else can carry for you. It's still your responsibility. And talking about carrying our own load, Paul is not speaking of the heavy difficulties or besetting sins we are unable to bear ourselves. Rather, he was referring to the fact that we will not be able to rely on the devotion of others on the final day. We must, in all humility, carry one another's burdens. But when it comes to ourselves, we must take responsibility for our own actions. Professing Christians who do not carry their own load may very well prove they never had saving faith. Let's move on as I'm already getting close to time being out. Point three. Generous sharing. Generous sharing. Let's read verse six. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. 
Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. You know, sometimes you get to those verses that just feel weird for a pastor to talk about, right? This is one of them for me. This is one of those. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. So for a moment, we're going to pretend like I am not one of your pastors. I'm some random guy in here. Uh, from not from off the streets, but from another church, and I'm just filling in for Pastor Mark today, and we're going to talk about Pastor Mark today. We're going to talk about, take me out of the equation. We're going to talk about Pastor Mark today. So it's weird for me to comment on this verse, because basically Paul is saying, take care of your pastors. Pay your pastors. But also it's more than that. Share all good things. Not just money. Encouragement. Hospitality. Respect. Testimony. What are you learning? What is the word of God teaching you? What is God teaching you through Pastor Mark? Are you telling them? Say, hey, I didn't realize that until you taught it to me. Thanks for the lesson. That verse really convicted me. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that verse until you explained it to me. Pastor Mark and your leaders should feel appreciated and respected and not taken advantage of. Since the days of the Levitical priesthood way back in the day, God had ordered the laity to meet the needs of his clergy more often than not. Too many believers assume without biblical warrant that our Lord requires ministers to get by on far less than others. But the practical outworking of this sentiment can discourage men and make them unable to continue in ministry and support their families at the same time. Humanly speaking, this robs the church of a vital resource to build up the saints and therefore the kingdom of God. You guys, you, through your tithes, through your offering, you take care of us well. Thank you. You take care of me. You take care of Mark well. Thank you. This opens us up to not worry about how I'm going to feed my family. Not worry about, I don't know if I'm going to pay the rent this month. Oh, don't get me wrong. We're not making bank over here, right? Not driving the nicest of cars or living in the nicest of houses. But man, we have more than enough. And it's because of you and your giving. Thank you. Thank you. And I know Mark would say the same thing. Thank you taking care of him financially. Now let's encourage him as well. Let's show him respect as well. Let's be hospitable to him and Christy as well because our pastors, Mark, myself, we have a responsibility before the Lord to care for souls and we will be judged more strictly because of this. Look at James where Mark is. We'll be judged more strictly because of this we must do all that we can to help mark do his job faithfully 
besides getting money, to thank him for preaching the word of God faithfully, which he does every single week. He doesn't shy away from hard verses. He doesn't pretend like that's not in the Bible and move on. He doesn't say, well, that might offend someone. I can't address that. He speaks the truth boldly. We should thank him for that. That's a way that we can share all of the good things with him. Enough about that. Moving on. That was awkward. Okay. Either way. Number four, personal holiness. Quickly, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. The Christian only has two fields in which he can sow. That of the flesh, that of the Spirit. Which field are you sowing in? If your faith is self-serving, you're in trouble. If you live life for your own benefit and your own expressions of faith have selfish desire behind them, it's all going to go sour and it's going to go sour in a hurry. The Christian walk is not really about you. Yes, God loves you. He pours himself out for you to redeem you, to reconcile you, but the life you now live is not your own. And really it never was. When you live for yourself, you are in grave danger. James, once again, James chapter 1, which Mark has already covered. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The root of sin is inside you already. If you live to your own selfishness, sin is imminent. Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. To sow in the Spirit is to serve righteousness from faith with love and not to heed the desires of sin. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what we sow. Holiness is a harvest. Whether you reap it or not depends almost entirely on what you sow. What field are you in? Where are you doing your work? And point five, tireless goodness let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up therefore as we have opportunity let us work for the good of all especially for those who belong to the household of faith the beginning of christian life is often marked by eager love of god and neighbor later we can grow weary in doing good The long wait from seed time to harvest can discourage us. We can grow disenchanted with our spiritual progress. In our dissatisfaction, we can try to speed up the harvest, attempting to get holy faster by imposing extra rules upon ourselves and others. 
taking pride in our more rigorous discipleship. Or we can give up and live apart from any standard of goodness. These tendencies toward legalism and libertinism were present in Galatia. And Paul says the answer to despair that yields these errors is patience. There is due season, a God-appointed time coming in which all our work and our sanctification will be vindicated. It's proper time is our Savior's return. When his holy people will inherit all that has been prepared for them. Just as seed must be planted in the right month to guarantee a fall harvest, so too must we sow to the Spirit in the proper season to reap the rewards of holiness. Broadly speaking, the entire period from our conversion to our death is the right time for sowing. More narrowly, there will be unique opportunities the Lord's hand of providence brings your way to love our neighbors, to sow in the Spirit. When circumstances converge to create needs that we are able to meet, we must take them. We do not know whether we will die before we have an opportunity and chance to serve our Creator, to serve Jesus one more time. The recipients of our good deeds are not limited to any one group, but we do have a responsibility to take care of our brothers and sisters in the Lord first, right? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Doesn't mean we don't serve people outside of this church, right? We do that. We went to the, uh, why did my mind just go blank? The family Family, thank you so much. I almost said Resource Medical Center. Okay, the Family Resource Center a few weeks ago to help there organize clothes. We're going at the end of this month down to a branch of the Portland Rescue Mission to cook food and to serve these 40 men that are in a recovery program there. We are serving outside of the walls of the church, and we should do that. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying don't serve others, only serve yourselves in the church. not saying that. And this church does not believe that. We go out and we serve. But we do have a responsibility to one another as well. And I feel a lot of times we miss that. A lot of times we say, they go to church, they're okay, they got it. They don't need my help. And oftentimes we find the people that have been hurt the most and who are hurting the most sitting right here in this room with us and we've overlooked look around you open your eyes we are brothers and sisters in the faith how are we helping one another bear our burdens how are we serving one another Working together in the faith. How are you doing that? It comes as no surprise that many Christians talk about the Spirit's work in their lives, but they do not even belong to a local church. If a person simply goes from event to event or only watches sermons at home and does not have biblical community, then he or she is not applying the New Testament. 
God saves us and empowers us by the Spirit in order that we may live in community with believers who fulfill his mission in the world. How are we serving one another? So in wrapping up, in bringing this all together, one thing we feel we do a good job of is serving the community. One thing we feel we're kind of struggling with is serving one another. So we're going to provide a way to kind of help with that. You may have seen it in the bulletin a few times already, but we're starting share groups. What's a share group? What is that? We're going to start those for now, a little slowly, once a month meeting on Sunday nights. Right now, we have enough people signed up to need two groups, and we'd love to have more. We'd love to have a third group. We have enough people signed up for two groups right now. Kids are welcome. This is a family thing. Because in these groups, we're going to spend time fellowshipping, getting to know one another. We may even have a potluck every single Sunday night that you meet with that. Once a month, get together, enjoy a meal together, have a devotion together. Connect. Exchange numbers. Meet up for coffee during the month, one-on-one, or as a group. Pour into one another. Be open and honest with one another and bear one another's burdens. Because even though Pastor Mark is our shepherd, right? Pastor Mark is the leader of this flock of Go Church. He can't bear all of our burdens. We've got to help one another. Share groups is an opportunity for you to do that. Sign up for one. Be a part of one. I love you guys. I'm glad I'm here all the way from Mississippi to be a part of this family. And I already feel like you're my family. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, help us to not grow weary in doing good. God, help us to sow in the right fields. God, help us to bear one another's burdens and build build us up as a community of believers who, yes, serve the outside world, but, yes, serve and help and pray for one another as a family of believers, as brothers and sisters in the faith. We're not in this alone. We can't do it by ourselves. And luckily, you provided a church family for us to do this thing with, to do this faith with, to carry our burdens. God, we love you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.